The Extra Point is pleased to present the inauguration special honoring George Mitrovich with special tributes from Dan Mitrovich, Dan McAllister, Donna Cohen, Dick Flavin, Herb Johnson, Sarah Katz, and Steve Peace. And now, your host, Jeff Marston. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Extra Point, brought to you by IVN. I'm your host, Jeff Marston. As you all know, tonight's show is airing the evening of the inauguration of Joseph Biden as our nation's 46th president. In recognition of that, a group of us got together and decided it would be a great idea to dedicate a show in honor of and to the memory of one of our new president's great friends from San Diego, George Mitrovich. I'm being joined tonight by seven of George's literally thousands of friends and admirers from coast to coast. I'll introduce them in a moment, but first some details I want our listeners to be aware of. Our show this evening has been pre-recorded to accommodate the busy schedules of our guests who are living in different time zones. I mentioned that, frankly, in case, God forbid, the events of the past two weeks caused something else to happen that you may be wondering why we are not addressing. We hope and pray for the best and that our nation may move on. So joining me tonight in no particular order are Daniel Mitrovich, one of George's brothers, one of the six Mitrovich children, uh, five boys and one girl. He was the fifth child. Dan's a resident of California and New Mexico, and for 30 years, he and his wife, Linda, have run a successful strategy company, another Mitrovich who's had an amazing life. Dan McAllister, San Diego County's treasurer and tax collector. Donna Cohen, an attorney and passionate advocate for the advancement of women in all aspects of sport, currently working with the Volunteer Lawyers Project to help to keep people housed during the pandemic. Sarah M. Katz, CEO and founder of Katz & Associates, a San Diego-based community relations firm with offices throughout California. Herb Johnson, a Boston native who recently moved back there after 20 years in San Diego, where he served, among other things, as president and CEO of the San Diego Rescue Mission and the San Diego Auto Museum in Balboa Park. Dick Flavin, the poet laureate of the Boston Red Sox, and former California State Senator Steve Peace. Welcome all of you to The Extra Point. So, George Mitrovich, I'm going to read or at least paraphrase from the bio you can find in the City Club of San Diego website, because there's no better way to talk about George until, of course, all of us start talking. George Mitrovich was an immutable force in San Diego's civic fabric for more than half a century. A native San Diegan, George was a proud graduate of Helix High, where he competed in baseball and basketball. He earned his undergraduate degree from Pasadena College, which later became Point Loma Nazarene University here in San Diego. And in 2007, that institution awarded him an honorary doctorate in humane letters. A lifelong Democrat who prided himself on his reasoned outlook and who valued respectful give and take with friends who might inexplicably hold opposing views, George earned his political stripes with several national figures led by his role as press aide to the presidential campaign of 1968 of Senator Robert F. Kennedy. He subsequently served as press secretary to Senator Charles Goodell, Republican of New York, whose son Roger went on to become the NFL commissioner, and Senator Harold E. Hughes, Democrat of Iowa. In addition, in addition he worked for two other members to the U.S. House of Representatives. His close connections in Washington and elsewhere were legendary, extending from political to sports to literature and beyond. It seemed as if he knew everyone who was anyone, not only in San Diego, but everywhere else his travels took him. Above all, he was a crusader for the enduring tenets of democracy, civility, and kindness, 
given freely to all those he met along the way. His self-selected slogan for the City Club, the San Diego-based forum he founded in 1975, was dedicated to the dialogue of democracy. He also served as the driving force for three other similar nonprofit public forums that he personally founded and hosted, the Denver Forum, the Great Washington, D.C. Writer Series, and the Great Fenway Park Writer Series in Boston, a forum that stands as the only ongoing literary program ever sponsored by a professional sports team. George also chaired the Red Sox's annual birthday tribute to Jackie Robinson and played a pivotal role in Robinson being posthumously awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in, in 2005. A United Methodist layman, he preached in some of America's leading churches, including Washington's National Cathedral and Highland Park United Methodist in Dallas. George wrote extensively for numerous major publications, including the New York and Los Angeles Times, Boston Globe, Toronto Globe and Mail, Baltimore Sun, the San Diego Union Tribune, as well as faith-based magazines. He almost daily, his almost daily Facebook posts, written under the unfettered title Baseball Notes, drew a national following in the thousands, including many of the game's top executives and media members. He served on dozens of public boards and commissions that helped reshape San Diego, most notably as chairman of the Committee on Charter Reform, whose proposal for changing city government from council manager to mayor council was adopted by voters in 2004. He also chaired the Committee of 2000, a citizens group that successfully supported the building of Petco Park, the city's downtown ballpark. Consider what George wrote about himself about a year before he passed. I'm 83, I dare anyone, anyone to tell me I'm too old to be running four public forums in four different American cities, too old to write on average 1500 words a day, too old to grocery shop and plan dinners most nights, too old to be as active as I am, which is mostly the same degree of activity I had 20 or 40 years ago. Georges Mitrovich, rest in peace. Okay, let me gather myself here for a second. This show is in honor of George and in recognition of his friendship with President Biden. So I know that you, Dan, know the president well as also. Uh, so I'm going to look to you as a sort of family historian here. Where and when did you and or George first meet Joe Biden? And do you have a, a favorite George Joe Biden story? You know, I do, Jeff. Uh, George Mitrovich first met uh, Joe Biden, when George was serving as press secretary for then U.S. Senator, the late U.S. Senator Charles E. Goodell. Um, Goodell was appointed by um, Rockefeller to replace the uh, Robert F. Kennedy after the assassination. Um, Joe Biden was then a member of a 13-member county council in Newcastle, Delaware, and he decided that he wanted to be U.S. Senator. Well, he was going up against uh, Caleb Boggs, who was a two-term governor of, of Delaware and in his second term of U.S. Senator, uh, didn't want to run for his third one, but then Nixon said, look, you need to run, and he did. Well, Joe Biden came to George on Capitol Hill. They had lunch at the cafeteria, and George told me, he said, you know, I met this young guy from Delaware. He's a councilman. He wants to unseat Caleb Boggs. I don't think he has a chance. Well, the Biden family, uh, with Val being the campaign manager, et cetera, uh, they made that happen. Joe was elected. Uh, not long after his election, George had me uh, join the senator and uh, uh, George and a few other members at that one of those private 
famous luncheons that George would do inside the Capitol. And uh, that was a, a great time. That's That was 1970 when George met uh, Joe Biden. Uh, I met him in 73. And uh, Joe Biden, out of that great friendship of all those years, uh, came to speak for the City Club, the Denver Forum, in 15, at least 15 times. But one of the stories was uh, Joe Biden was um, speaking at the Denver Forum. He brought along his son, Bo, uh, and his son, Hunter. Uh, after the luncheon, George, Senator, his two sons and me, traveled up to Vail for an overnight ski trip. The next day, we got up on the uh, one of the ski runs, and George and I got off the first chairlift first with Joe, then came Bo and Hunter. Well, Hunter skied off the lift just fine, but Bo hesitated. Well, behind Bo came another lift, and a fairly large guy decided he would just shove Bo Biden out of the way. Well, let me just tell you, Joe saw that. And all of a sudden, Joe heads over there. Now, we're only about 10 feet away. Joe decides to go over it, and George says to me, Daniel, get over there. Joe's going to deck that guy. So I got between the senator and this large man to keep them from going fisticuffs, but there was some language used. Fortunately, it calmed down. Later that night at dinner, uh, we uh, laughed, and Joe thanks me for keeping him out of the headlines. But it was interesting because, in, like George would be, Daniel, you get over there and stop that. It wasn't George getting over there to stop it. It was me. I'm only 5'8", and George is 6'1". So you do the math. I, I think George would have been the appropriate one to be there. Right. And of course, George is always great at delegating authority. So that's a great, <laughs> that's a, that's and, a great, you that's know, a and I'll great... add to that. Bo Biden, of course, we all know, truly was Joe's, uh, one of his most favorites of the two sons. Uh, it was Bo Biden that I first met Kamala Harris. He introduced me to, and it was Bo Biden that told his dad, Kamala Harris is a great lady. And I would say that it was Bo Biden's initiative to get Joe to pick Kamala Harris uh, going back a long time ago. And that's why she's on the ticket and was and will be vice president of the United States. That's great stuff, Dan. That's a great way to kick off our uh, kick off our roundtable. Um, I want to go around the table here and recall where each of us met George, along with a favorite story or two. Also, and very importantly, I'd like to hear each of you tell us what you think was George's most important lasting achievement as you saw it in your world. And I say that presuming the answers will be different in Boston than they are in San Diego. So Dan Mitrovich, kid brother, what say you? You, you tapped into what George did. But George's uh, great contribution in so many areas, whether it be San Diego, Denver, Boston, or DC, um, his city club of San Diego, which began as you mentioned, 1975, the first speaker to that city club was none other than Charles E. Goodell, uh, former U.S. Senator. And, and that was a great privilege for George to have his former boss come out to speak and open that city club of San Diego. The 400 plus events that George presided over in all those cities was quite an amazing accomplishment. But I recall living in D.C. back in 1973 and 74, 
when some of these meetings actually began prior to the city club, George would host a private luncheon on Capitol Hill in a private dining room, often would be the speaker's private dining room. And in that room, there would be approximately 10 to 12 guests. Now, there was rules when you attended George's luncheon in that private dining room. Anything that was said in that room was to stay within those walls. And back then in 1974, things did stay within those four walls. Um, the luminaries that were there, you always would have one or two national writers. You would have the media. You would have one or two U.S. senators. Uh, you would have somebody of significance, of importance, that played an important role in our, in our country at those luncheons. And that was the first. But again, going back to the Westgate Hotel in San Diego, 1975, I just will add one other thing for some of you to look up. In 1979, there was an article in the Washington Post. It was titled, Dining Out with George Mitrovich, San Diego's Gentleman Arm Twister. George put together a dinner in, in Washington. It was an amazing dinner uh, attended by so many of the great uh, people of our, of our time. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, first and foremost was there. Ben Bradley, David Haberstam, George Plimpton, Sally Quinn, Richard Reeves, Dick Tuck, Byron McPherson, Sander Van Oker, some of those great names. And, and that's what George was all about. Uh, I think one of the other things so proud about that George was proud of was that honorary doctorate degree uh, that he spearheaded uh, for Roger E. Goodell's dad, Charles E. Goodell at Boston University. Uh, also, uh, Dick Goodwin and Doris Kearns Goodwin were honored as well at that time. Uh, but of course, number 42, being in the rotunda that day in 2005, when President Bush honored uh, the widow of Jackie Robinson, Rachel Robinson, that Congressional Gold Medal. That was one of the great highlights I can recall being with Brother. Uh, of course, some of the members of the Red Sox were there as well. A luncheon in the private luncheon in the U.S. Senate dining room uh, took place prior to that ceremony. And so I'll leave it at that. That's George, always doing something special for someone else. And when you think of it, it's tough enough for each of us to do one or two events in our lifetime, let alone 400 plus events. Dan Mitrovich, thank you. That's, that's great. And, and my hat's off to you for, to someone who had zillions of stories and memories to pull out of. And we appreciate that. Appreciate your participation. Probably get back to you in a little bit. Dan McAllister, San Diego County's treasurer, tax collector. Where'd you first meet George and what are your memories? Well, many memories. Uh, I first met George uh, in the late 70s uh, w at a city club event, uh, naturally. Uh, that was his life uh, in many respects. That was who George was. Um, and I was, I was very impressed. Uh, the dinner that uh, Daniel just told us about, uh, I happened to be in attendance at that dinner, uh, as were a number of other city club members uh, who had flown back to Washington that time uh, to participate in uh, what seemed to be a, a non-ending week-long access uh, to the best and the brightest of Washington, D.C. It was really spectacular. Uh, so that really was the first um, 
uh, introduction that I had to this guy, George Mitrovich. Uh, George was very unique. George cared a lot about people. He worked hard to help people that didn't have as much as we have. He worked hard and tirelessly to bring people together. He was uh, a consummate guy in many, many respects. Uh, there were times uh, when we had uh, a good laugh or two, because as we know, uh, in addition to George being bigger than life and seemingly knowing everybody important in the world, um, it was important to document some of that. So I will tell you this quick story about how one, uh, one quarter when we had a quarterly uh, luncheon with George, Sarah Katz, myself, Jan Percival, uh, sometimes Jeff joined us, uh, but at this particular one, I noticed that uh, Sarah Katz had pulled out a little notebook and a pen before George got there because he was notoriously a little bit behind schedule. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I said, well, Sarah, what is that about? And she said, you know, I think it's time that somebody really take charge and chronicle all of the names that George drops during any given lunch. And so that is what uh, uh, originated the name dropping scorekeeping effort uh, that we adopted as Friends of George. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was interesting, too, because by the end of that first lunch, there were over, I think, 25, 26 different names on that list, including, uh, of course, two or three Kennedys. Uh, and that was a must. Uh, but uh, this thing uh, morphed and over time and time when uh, Boston won the World Series, George managed to uh, find uh, a way, uh, and uh, they thought so much of George, they awarded him a World Series watch. So the watch dropping then became in vogue for our group as well, just to compare those watches every time we ate to make sure that uh, it was the genuine item and it was George's pet watch from the World Series. But George is, uh, is bigger than life. Uh, he and I share the same birthday, July 29th, obviously a few semesters different uh, in time, but uh, you know, it's as if he's still here with us. I think his, uh, his loyalties to the people and the fans of San Diego, as well as Boston, uh, are legendary, and uh, we don't want to ever forget them. That's, that's great, Dan. You know, you talk about... Uh... Um, the name dropping. He's, of course, George played for many, many years, about 20 years with the, with the Mets adult baseball team. Steve, Steve is one of his, his teammates. Um, in fact, I'm wearing a Mets jacket today. And this is not just a Mets jacket. This is a Mets jacket that George gave me 15 years ago or so. I have no idea where the heck he got it, but he, just, he gave <laughs> it to me. Um, but we had a nickname for him. We ir irreverently would call him Thud. And that was, uh, we joked about the sound of a ball popping out of his glove at first base. But what it really meant was the sound of another name being dropped. So um, George, uh, George liked that. He didn't care much for the, the, uh, the ball dropping out. Let's go to um, Donna Cohen. Um, yours, of course, uh, is a Red Sox connection. Where, in, where, in, uh, where did you and George first meet? We first met actually at his um, great Fenway Park Writer Series. I walked in for the first time as a guest, and there stood before me an elegant an elder statesman wearing a Red Sox baseball cap, a blue blazer, and his fabulously famous colored socks. And he came up to me and he said, I want to talk to you later. 
And then he scurried off to speak with um, other people who were in the room as he, I then learned, usually did. And I have many memories. I have a particular memory about George's assumption about his friends and one about his commitment to his friends that I thought I might share. Um, his assumption about his friends, this story was from San Diego. I need you at the all-star game luncheon. Peter Gammons can't make it, you'll be terrific. Well, who fills the shoes of the famous baseball analyst? But of course the answer was, sure, no questions asked. And up came during the panel an analytics question. And I paused and I broke out into song with 250 people following me. Take me out to the ball game. George sang along and my best memory of that day was the sound of his laugh. And every time I hear his brother Dan laugh, it reminds me of George. His commitment to his friends is the other thing that I wanted to share. I, um, Dan McAllister, you said it perfectly about the number of people in the world that he knows crossing all different aisles. The World Baseball Softball Confederation granted the rights to host the Women's Baseball World Cup in the United States, and I was its managing director. Two nights before they were to begin their competition, I got a telephone call that Team Cuba and Team Dominican Republic were stuck in the Dominican Republic because they could not get their papers so that they could be transported, transported to Florida. George, I was wondering. Within 24 hours, I got a telephone call. Everyone had their papers. Everyone was on the plane. They landed in Florida. I, I had called several other people as well, but I called George and his response was, I made several phone calls, I'm very glad it worked out. And that was George. And you could always count on him for, for a great memory and a great commitment to his friends that he chose. Thank you, Don. Yeah, it was uncanny, the kinds of stuff he'd be able to pull off. I mean, we all laugh about it, but we all benefited from it, frankly. Um, that's great. Thank you. Well, let's stick with the Red Sox for a moment. Um, honored here to have Dick Flavin, Poet Laureate of the Red Sox. So tell us, Dick, how did you first run into this Mitrovich guy? I first uh, met George at the very first uh, Fenway Park Writers Series. And I always kidded him from that uh, meeting on by saying, I introduced myself to George by saying, hello, I'm Dick Flavin. And George said, and I, of course, am George Mitrovich. Uh, <laughs> he was, a, he was a great guy. Not only did he know everyone, but everyone knew him. And I learned that uh, one night uh, when I was going to a, uh, an event at the Kennedy Library here in Boston. And I was with George and, uh, Ted Kennedy was there, and he came over to the table to say hello, and I said, oh, Senator, do you know George Mitrovich? He said, George, I haven't seen you in years. How have you been? Not only did they make an impact on him, he made an impact on them. 
he was a, a, a unique person. There was, uh, there was nobody quite like him. Uh, uh, I, I was lucky enough. Uh, uh, I have a daughter who lives in the San Diego area. And so every time I would go out there for the last 15 years or so, uh, I'd make sure that George and I had a little dinner, a little uh, lunch together. And, uh, and we, uh, we'd also have a lunch together every time he came uh, out this way. So we became fast friends uh, uh, over the years and uh, I, I miss him dearly. I can't tell you how much. You're listening to The Extra Point with Jeff Marston, presented by IVN San Diego. The COVID pandemic has hit America hard. Nationwide, black individuals have seen 2.6 times greater infection rate than their white counterparts. The news is especially frightening for African-Americans who are at a greater risk of severe complications from COVID-19 due to underlying conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, and obesity. I'm Dr. Shirley Weber, the Assemblywoman from the 79th, and I'm encouraging everyone in our communities to do their part. Get tested, mask up, and avoid gatherings. Visit blackcovidfactssd.org. Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects in any language or location. Visit us today at IVC.media. The Extra Point is pleased to present the inauguration special honoring George Mitrovich with special tributes from Herb Johnson, Sarah Katz, and Steve Peace. And now, your host, Jeff Marston. Virtually everyone on this call I've known for quite some time. Um, Herb Johnson, you know, you know the drill here, and I'm probably going to ask you about the breakfast club or whatever you guys called it that I had uh, the pleasure of attending about half a dozen times, but at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning, I could think of just better things to do like sleep. So why don't you, uh, why don't you jump in and, and uh, your thoughts about, you know, where you met George, you came from Boston and have, have returned, et cetera, et cetera. And you're on Herb. Around 1997 or so, my wife and I uh, moved to California. Um, we were actually married in San Diego, and um, I've got about 40 years in the Boy Scouts, and uh, Dan uh, was a pretty heavy hitter in the Boy Scouts, and that's how I met Dan. Uh, I think he might have been council president that year. Um, my hot wrench is to see what's going on with the Boy Scouts these days, but that's how life changes things. But I know they have a history for changing boys. And it wasn't, wasn't too long after I met Dan that he introduced me uh, probably to the Breakfast Club and George Mitrovich. I have never in my entire life, and I've had not a very illustrious career, but a career that's taken me all over the world. I have never met anybody else like George Mitrovich. Um, he had a heart of a lion. He knew everybody in town. 
And then he had the famous Fenway uh, Writers Series with the Boston Red Sox. And that was a natural tie for me as being a Boston kid. So I looked pretty close to George. Uh, we, we had, um, uh, in, in the, when I first moved to San Diego, which was 20 years ago, a lot of those old Negro ballplayers were still alive then. They were in their 70s and 80s. And every ch chance that George had, he would bring them to town. And um, I had a pretty big house then. I was uh, in, um, in an industry in a high position. And every Negro ball player that came to San Diego, George brought to my house. And we'd do something big there, either a barbecue or something like that. And I really got to know George as not the individual who ran the city club, but as a person. And he and Laverle became really great friends with us. And George introduced me to everyone he knew in San Diego. And I think George did really know just about everyone in San Diego. As a matter of fact, uh, we had a luncheon uh, one afternoon for Buck Owens and a bunch of guys that was just a day and afternoon I will never forget in my entire life. Um, but George was colorblind. He, he didn't, you know, I, I brought him all out to my house, house to the social events that might have had uh, more African-Americans than the average uh, yard party in San Diego. And he was quite at home. Uh, he, he, he didn't need to be uh, uh, put on any airs. George was there. Um, uh, Dan, I think, uh, you were, a, you were a member of the Saturday Morning Breakfast Club. And that club, even though it morphed and changed and some guys left, um, I went to breakfast for nearly 20 years every Saturday morning with a remnant of that club. Those were my closest friends in San Diego. And I now do Zoom calls with those guys about every two months or so. Bigger than life, George was. Thank you, Herb. Yeah, it is a great club. And as I've gotten older, I realize how much I, I miss it and how much I gave up just being a smart aleck in my comment about sleeping. So thanks, Herb. So Sarah Katz, um, you and I chatted the other day, and one of the big stress issues for you is what George story do you tell of the endless, endless numbers you have? So let's start with you in terms of where you met and uh, one or two of those stories quickly. Not quickly, but you know, if you're gonna tell more than one, you gotta to have to truncate them. You bet, okay. Uh, I really had to rack my brain to remember where I met George and it had to be probably 1981, maybe 82. And I was one of those individuals, according to his bio, that probably had inexplicable different views. And I think that made him curious. Uh, I was one of the founding members of the Republicans Republican Business Women's Organization, uh, of which we were a pro-choice, socially moderate Republican group of women, which of course, George made it really clear that men should be able to join right away. So it was sort of reversed. He was ahead of his time. Um, and I think Jeff, we let you in a few times. Dan, you, you had a few showings as well. Um, and George, uh, I don't know, I feel like I was adopted by him for, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, he had the gift of gab. He was, he was bigger than life. He was the consummate networker. His, his demeanor was really impressive because he was always present. Whether you were having lunch at Applebee's and he was talking to the waitress 
At that moment, that waitress was the most important person in his life and he was riveted. And by the time of the end of that lunch, he knew her name, where she had gone to school, why she worked at that restaurant, if she was a single parent, and if she needed help, somehow George was, was there to do that. Um, you're right, there are an awful lot of stories. Dan mentions the, um, the lunches. I remember when I started keeping score of all the names being dropped. Um, a few occasions, George would have to point out, hey, cats, he always called me cats, cats, you missed one. You got to add that one to the list. He was slightly insulted that I didn't recognize that some name I'd never heard of uh, had the designation of being on that list. And then there were a few times where we got into some robust debates as he was um, so capable of doing on, can you count the same person twice? Because he really thought that Mike Dukakis or the honor, everybody was honorable or esteemed or the one and only, you know, the, the esteemed senator from this state, he felt that they deserved to be counted twice on the list. I think we got up to 81 in one lunch and, and, and there might've been a couple of double counts, but George felt it was, was really, really important. One story reminds me, George was on the stadium board um, back when it was Jack Murphy Stadium. And it was probably, I don't know, mid nineties. And uh, fortuitously, I guess everybody else had a conflict. I quite often was a last minute date of George's to some of these different events. And we're going into the parking lot and I'm, you know, driving and George is over on the right-hand side, of course, telling me which lane to get into and where I should turn left or right. And he was telling me, you know, park this way, park this way. I said, George, that's an exit. I'm not going in that way. Cats, you park this way. So I follow George's instructions and some poor parking attendant runs over there like I have just broken a, a cardinal rule and is telling me I need to, you know, back up and turn around and go a different direction. And George uh, motions me to roll down the window and he, and he leans over from the passenger seat, almost like you know a, an ostrich with a really long, long neck to stick his head out to the parking attendant. And he said, young man, do you know who I am? And this parking attendant said, I know I, I don't, sir. And he goes, I am Mitrovich from the authority. And our mutual friend, Jan Percival was sitting in the back seat bursts out in laughter. I'm trying to be respectful without bursting out in laughter. And this poor parking attendant said, oh, all right, sir. And he moves the parking barrier so we could go up and park in, you know, probably Larry Lachino's spot or something. So from years thereafter, uh, Jan and I frequently said, hey, have you heard from Mitrovich from the authority? And so George, I think, loved that, that name. And then there was the establishment of FOG, which was Friends of George. And so we had honorary FOG members, Jeff, you were a FOG, Dan, you were a FOG, et cetera. And in some ways we always felt that in the downtown business establishment, you know, George had fans and he had foes. And on occasion we felt he just wasn't as revered or respected or appreciated to the extent that he deserved to be. So we decided to throw him an 80th birthday party, but you couldn't get anything past George. So we threw it on his 79th birthday. And Jeff was our ambassador and, and had to play shill as to where he was taking him that night. And we thought the most appropriate place to do it was in the parking lot of the stadium. So there was probably 150, 200 people there. And we had a traditional 
baseball theme and we had the mayor come out and proclaim it George Mitrovich Day. And I will tell you, it was one of the few times in my probably 36, seven year friendship with George that he was almost speechless. He was very humbled. He was very um, surprised and I think he felt very loved. And I know that those of us that were involved thought this was a good thing and this is something that he deserved. And finally, I got to be his date when the Red Sox played the Dodgers in the World Series on October 28th, 2019. Uh, guests of the Red Sox in the Red Sox box and when the Red Sox won in five that night. And, you know, we talked about uh, his demeanor and his dress and his watch. Well, he had his Red Sox ring on that night. So everybody saw the ring. When we drove in and they tried to make us pay $20 for parking, he again, ostrich neck, leaned over my lap, showed him the ring, showed the ring that it was a Red Sox ring. And he said, I am a member of Red Sox Nation. And they go, right on in, sir, right on in. So we didn't pay for parking, went in. And every person we met that evening that we've, we will never meet again, George sh shared his ring. I was the official photographer taking pictures of people I will never see again with George in the center while he showed his ring. And of course the evening culminated, I promised I would be the driver that evening to his son, Mark, because he was a bit concerned about George driving at night. And as we were leaving, I'm on my map quest following and he goes, cats, you're going the wrong way. I said, well, George, this is what map quest says. Cats, I've done this a hundred times. You go this way. And I knew we were going the wrong direction. I knew we were going on the wrong freeway, but far be it for me. And so probably 10, 15 miles out of the way after my map quest keeps saying reroute, 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 and I'm showing George. <laughs> he said to me in, in sheer honesty and, and um, surprise, I think they've reconfigured these freeways, cats. This is not the way they used to go. He goes, maybe we should look at MapQuest and we are miles in the wrong direction. But you know what? It was just one more Mitrovich story to add to my lineup of um, what is truly one of the most remarkable human beings I ever met and one of my dearest friends. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Um, boy, you're certainly right about that. Um, that 79th birthday party was, was quite an event. And I was, you're right, I was the guy that had to get him there and trying to figure out how to make it, make him stop paying attention to anything that was going on. So I got into a, uh, as a Yankee fan growing up in New Jersey, I got into an argument with him about Democrats and the Red Sox. And it sent him into orbit until we drove up and he said, Katz is here, Percival's here, what are they doing here? Because it was supposed to be a birthday party for one of our Mets teammates that he was that he was going to be the MC for on his own birthday. That's how, whatever it was. And you're right, Sarah, he was speechless. Only time I've ever really seen it. And it was, uh, what a treasure. Thank you. Um, Steve Peace, I'm not really sure where to start with you two. Um, I remember watching you guys in the corner of the Mets dugout discussing or arguing over something political where I had to yell at you about the fact that Hey, yeah, we're in the middle of a ball game. And oh, by the way, George, you're on deck. 
he was paying no attention. And then you, Steve, are in the hold, you know. So where did, where did you two meet? I mean, let's, you know, in all seriousness, you guys were um, political compadres, uh, as knowledgeable as they come about public policy and these things. So let's turn to you, Steve. Well, I, you know, I think when you know George and George has been part of your life, at least for me, it's hard to identify when you first started because you, there's no concept of life without George Mitrovich in it. It's kind of fills you up. Um, but I grew up, of course, as a, a honorary East County kid with, because of my father being a teacher and principal and whatnot in Grossmont schools and the Mitrovich clan was uh, omnipresent. Yeah, in, in East County and, and then, you know, re, reconnected or connected with George in a more direct way uh, in the late 70s when I was working for Larry Kapiloff and, uh, and, and then um, uh, our first clash, so to speak, uh, when uh, George and John Moores were heading up the effort for strong mayor and Donna Fry and Jerry Sanders and Steve Peace were opposing it. I will say for the record, George, we were right, you were wrong, uh, but we have a strong mayor. <coughs> uh, you see how well that's working out. But uh, that gives my my last shot. And, and half the time when we were in the dugout, that's what we were arguing about. Um, George was, uh, it's funny when you, people talk about name dropping, a lot, you know, a lot of people would make jokes about name dropping. The difference between George is, George knows all those people. I dare anyone to find an instance when George dropped a name and then he got embarrassed by it because he was dropping the name of somebody he didn't know or wasn't able to pick up the phone and call. It was all real. And you saw the evidence of that in, in his, uh, his funeral uh, in San Diego. People came from all over the country. It was one of the most, if not the most, um, uplifting experiences, I, you know, I think I've ever had in my life is just sitting quietly and listening to some just incredible, um, 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 really entertainment at, at, at George's funeral. Um, you, you make reference to the other thud notion of him dropping the ball. George actually, unbelievable athlete for all the jokes and whatnot. We make Josie ever. I mean, the guy was still making contact with a baseball in, 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 in 80 years old. Um, but the first base issue was, uh, was a fun, and I'll leave it with this last little story. Uh, you heard in his bio, his self, uh, his challenge for, you know, who says I can't do all these things. Uh, there was a moment where uh, after a couple of years of, at um, uh, playing in the infield with George at first base where the reactions were starting to catch up with George. And it wasn't a thud. The, the concern was, as the guy throwing the ball, I finally went to you, Jeff, you may recall, and said, Jeff, I don't want to be the guy that throws the ball as hard as I can. And George does this, reaching out for the ball, and the ball does this, <laughs> smacking his nose. Because we were getting we were getting close to where that was going to happen, and it I think it took you probably half a season to wean him off of uh, insisting on playing uh, first base and uh, move, moving into the designated hitter role. Um, it never occurred to George that um, any of those reactions or that athletic capacity had diminished in any way, and I can 
totally understand why, because candidly, even at extraordinarily advanced age, his, his, his athleticism and his eye-hand coordination was, was better than most of us in our 20s and 30s. It's a great, it's a great point. And, and I, yes, it did take me about half a season to, to, to figure that out. Um, and part of it was George talking me out of not taking him out of the game. So, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of go with him. But uh, one of the things I, I would mention up until about his, his last season with us, um, you know, I got 18 guys on a team. If I need somebody put the bat on the ball, if I need somebody to put the ball in play, he's one of my top three guys. He rarely struck out. And gee, he actually knew how to bunt, which is, you know, an absolutely lost art these days. Um, so yeah, those are, that's great stuff, Steve. Thank you. Um, let me toss it out. We're, we just don't have that much time left. Let me toss it out to uh, anybody who'd like to, to uh, anybody have a final comment they'd like let, to say or add to their story or, or let anything. Me, let me say something, if I may. Uh, <clears throat> In the best of, of George's name dropping, let me say that I've been able to drop a lot of names in my life. The reason I was able to drop these names is because of my brother, George Mitrovich. Uh, you mentioned Dick T Ted Kennedy. I've had that great pleasure to be into the compound and sailing with Ted at Hyannis. And I got a call one day from someone that worked for Warren Beatty. And this is the best of name dropping I can do. <laughs> she said, Warren Beatty wants you and bring your wife Linda to a dinner at the Beverly Wellshire. He's gonna have a hundred of his closest friends. We arrived that night at the Beverly Wellshire. At the gals I checked in, she said, oh, Dan, yes. Oh, I think you're gonna have a really good time tonight. I got in a great conversation with uh, Warren's wife, Annette Benning, and then with Michael Douglas, of which then a, a rude person by the name of Jack Nicholson came over and abruptly interrupted our conversation. So when I was seated at the table, Warren had me seated with him and Annette, but there were two seats that weren't occupied at that moment. 20 minutes later into this dinner, Barbara Streisand and James Brolin appear. They take those seats. So Linda, halfway through this dinner, said to me, she said, you know what? Nicholson is looking at you. He's been looking at you the whole time. I know he's trying to figure out who are you that he and Michael Douglas are not sitting in those seats, and we are. But that's George. George always... I have a great privilege of being his brother. But one thing Dan McAllister said and brought up about George helping and making certain others got credit, it was those luncheons on the green, Sarah and Jeff and Dan and Steve and Herb that you knew so well in Balboa Park. And he honored 10 people, five luminary names of the city, but five people that never got thank you in their work, nurses, teachers, firemen, policemen, etc. George made certain that they got honored. And that's what my brother was really all about. And I say, thank you, my brother George, for all you did for me, for all these years, for so many across America, 
there is no one, as Jeff pointed it out, that knew more people than George S. Mitrovich. You know, before we close this off, uh, something special as you're watching the inauguration, you should know that standing there at the door leading out to where the speaker, where Joe, Joe will accept his presidency to become the 46th president, the person standing there that will give him the direction will be George Mitrovich's son, Tim Mitrovich. Tim Mitrovich is the shoot director, as he has for three other inaugurations. He will say to the president-elect, it is now time for you, Mr. President-elect, to step out and give your speech. What a pr privilege that is. And we know that George will be there with his son in memory, a special time. So when you watch that and you see Joe Biden walk out, realize it was George's son that said, okay, go give your speech. Thank you, Dan. What an incredible, what an incredible way to, to, uh, to end this show with that, with that note. Um, and that is an incredible honor and an incredible, and, and I know Tim has done a great job in the other inaugurations. This of course will be very, very special to him. Well, as always the case when you're having a good time, that time has gone flying by and ours is, is up for tonight's show. Half of our executive producer, J.C. Polk, and everyone at The Extra Point, I want to thank our special guests, Dan Mitrovich, Dan McAllister, Donna Cohen, Dick Flavin, Herb Johnson, Sarah Katz, and Steve Peace for joining me tonight in our tribute to George Mitrovich. And I believe I speak for everyone here and at The Extra Point and wishing George's friend, our new president, Joe Biden, the very best in the challenges he now faces. And I will opine, those good wishes should come from all Americans, regardless of where we may sit on the political spectrum. Thank you all again, and good night. I'm gonna start recording now. And what I want you to give me, or just give it to me plain, unrehearsed, unwritten, unscripted. Tell me how you feel about what just happened right there. This was a podcast in honor and in memory of one of my closest friends. And I don't know if I'm even gonna get through these next sentences because I'm basically in tears and he was such a dear man and such an influence on my life and really a second father and I said that I was honored to be one of his eulogists at his memorial service um, and on this show we had seven other people who were who he had added so much to their lives but they added to his and I've had the opportunity to talk to George about each and every one of them at some point over the years. And um, it's, it's so wonderful that we were able to do this. I feel really good about it. And it's one of these things that is now archived and the emotions and the feelings and the great stories are there forever.
Thank you for joining us for this special presentation of The Extra Point with Jeff Marston, presented by IVN.